Hello, everyone. Today, we are really, really fortunate to have Christina Mathewson, naturopath from, well, based on the east coast of Australia, I'm going to say. And um, Christina can tell you all about what she's been up to. So thank you for coming. And how about you share with anyone that's listening anything you'd like to about you? Awesome. So thanks for having me. Uh, I love that little, uh, I'm going to say the East Coast. I actually work in every state of Australia. So I'm generally an online practitioner. So people see me online. You're going to see me in my car. This is usually where I'm having consults. I love it. see me in the car uh, because we've been traveling Australia. So that's why you're going to see me in the car because we're traveling Australia. We don't really have a home base at this point in time. Uh, And we've been up and down the East Coast over the last 16, 17 months now. And and you've got a few people travelling with you, Christina, haven't you? I do, I do. I'm looking to see if my car is messy, but this is our van uh, and we have 11 seats and nine of them are filled. So seven of those are my children. Goodness me, what a, what a, what a Trojan person you are. So you're um, a naturopath, but you're also an author, a YouTuber, a mother, well, we've already talked about the mothering, but what's the authoring? What have you been up to in your authoring life? Uh, okay, so I have a couple of books that are about to make their way out. One is Divinely Nourished, which really just focuses on some of the mindset stuff about diet, and I'm sure you would know um, a lot of that information, that you can tell someone exactly what they need to do in order to create the results, but sometimes there's a gap between the doing of the thing that they need to do and the mindset behind that. So it, it's yeah. a lot about why do we do the things that we do? Why do we self-sabotage even though we know we need to do something? And how do we start to unpack some of those blocks so that we can actually take the actions that we want to be taking, which are ultimately, from my perspective, an act of self-love is yeah. looking after your body and loving your body. But to do mm. that, sometimes you've got to get rid of some of your emotional baggage and attachment to food, community cycles, social cycles, all of that type of stuff to get there. And yeah. I'm in the process right now of just writing another book, which is uh, 10, 10 Tips to Lower Your Blood Glucose. Oh, uh, I love so that one. That's yeah, going to be super be, fun. That's going to be super fun. That's so interesting. So you also mentioned on your About Me that you obviously have had seven children. Is that all right to share? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, got and- um, gestational diabetes was a problem for you. So when I had my last child in the 90s, early 90s, I had four, I had huge babies. They were all 10 and a half pounds. I don't think we were tested for gestational diabetes or gesta- gestational diabetes back then. Um, so how how did that impact on your pregnancy back then? And which Was it your first pregnancy that this was picked up on? Yeah, yeah. How did that impact? And yep. what kind of information were you given yeah, so this for me is a fun story, not so fun for the poor diabetes educators at the hospital because uh, I was a challenging patient in the sense that I think to fully understand this, you have to understand my dad was diagnosed with diabetes and yeah. I was in my teens when I saw him do that and get that diagnosis. So I would see him prick his finger, I would see him give himself insulin, um, I would see him like have the turmoil about eating food or not eating food and all of that type of stuff. And in my teenager brain, I said to myself, if this ever happens to me, I'm just going to kill myself because I don't want to live like that. Like I don't want to have the life that he's got right now. And so if I ever get this, I'm just going to top myself and that will be the end of it. And so that's the prequel to then getting pregnant with my first baby. 
And then around that 20-week mark, I get this diagnosis of gestational diabetes. So 20 and weeks, that was, that was early compared to today's standards, isn't it, now? It's later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go oh, on, no, sorry. it depends because they're starting to, some of my patients now, uh, if they go to the antenatal clinic early because maybe they've had a previous miscarriage, they'll try and get them diagnosed at 11 weeks. Right. Um, I so love that. There's, Very good. There's some earlier stuff happening now, but um, it was because I was in hospital. So I vomited so much in that pregnancy. They had to keep rehydrating mm. me. So mm. they, they did some of those tests a little bit earlier because I was in the hospital at the time. So I get this diagnosis of gestational diabetes and I'm brought straight back to that moment when I'm like 15 years old, watching my dad at the table, pricking oh, his wow. fingers going, yeah. oh, I'm going to kill myself if that happens to me. And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, crap. Can't do that. That plan no. doesn't work now because <laughs> it's not just me that's affected by this. There's, there's yeah. a baby on board and, and, and so on. And so I did the other thing that I tend to do, which is research the crap out of it. And I worked at the university at the time, so I went into the medical literature and I pulled out the medical oh. books and I found everything that I could find on diabetes and gestational diabetes. And I sat in that library and I poured over it and read as much as I possibly could oh, around yeah. it. Do you remember so, who you were reading back then? Do you remember who was oh, that guy? I read a lot of the books. At, like there was about yeah. five or six of okay. textbooks yeah. that I actually yeah. pulled out. To, yeah. And then I'd have to pull out more to understand the jargon and yeah. of what I yeah. was reading and so on. Yeah. Um, but I remember specifically there was a couple of really important points that, that struck me, and one of which was that everything I was reading seemed like this was a carbohydrate-based issue, that there was an issue with too much carbohydrates and so on, et cetera. And yet I'd go to the hospital and they would tell me, this is how much Coca-Cola you can have. This is how much pasta you can have. This is how much bread so you can have. And I'm like, that's more than I'm actually eating already. Mm -hmm. And then the other important thing that I read was that insulin in the last six weeks of pregnancy increases your risk of a stillbirth. In that last six weeks oh, of pregnancy, oh, taking insulin in a pregnancy increases the risk. And so in my mind, I thought, well, if I can avoid that risk, why would I not want to do everything possible that I could do to avoid that risk? Yet the information I was getting from the hospital was actually going to cause me to be on insulin. Mm. And so I sat in those classes and I challenged the diabetes educator, the poor dietitian, on every single point that she said. Uh, and, you know, at the end of it, at the end of the lesson, um, it was really interesting because you could see the mums split in two. The, the group of mums that just didn't care, give me the insulin, I'll eat what yeah, I want, yeah. I don't really yeah. care. But you saw the other mums who were like me that would do anything that they possibly could to change the outcomes and create a better outcome for their actual baby. So what would happen was that, you know, the mums that didn't care would leave the room and then I would sit there for another hour or two talking to these mums who did the care. The other mums, right. Great. And tell them that all began. the research. That's where yeah. you began. <laughs> That's where I began. Tell them all the research that I'd found and all the information that I found and all the things that I knew. And what I did at that point in time without having a name for it was that I actually went more like hypercarnivore. Um, I mostly ate meat to get through that pregnancy without having to take any insulin. I had a little bit of greens and stuff here and there, and occasionally I had an emotional tantrum where I ate KFC. Yeah, 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 yeah. But predominantly that pregnancy was a, a carnivore-based pregnancy or a meat-based pregnancy. I didn't have that term for it at the time, but that's what it was. So then later in life, that's how I need to come back to this. Mm -mm. So Christina at 23 that's having that baby is um, not a naturopath, 
No. No, you're just putting on the hat that you need to put on to find out how to fix yourself, heal yourself. And yeah. the baby was born perfectly and you've gone on to have seven more of them or six more of them. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. And so in each subsequent pregnancy, did the gestational diabetes come back or did you already yeah. know by then? So it did come back. I was diagnosed with it every time because I hadn't got the fortitude and also I had my babies were back to back. So three months oh, yeah. after my first baby, I was pregnant with my next baby. And then like, you know, so my first two babies are 11 and a half months apart. Um, and then, you know, the, the next baby was within, you know, 16 months and then 12 months. So I had these back to back babies. So I didn't really have a lot of period of time where I wasn't breastfeeding or pregnant to yeah. actually go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to deal yeah. with this now yes. so that I can get rid of it. It yeah. wasn't. I didn't really have the brain space at that point in time to do it. So I, I, I did get gestational diabetes with every pregnancy and it was only in the last two that I required to take some insulin. Um, and, you know, there were some medical issues. So my, my second last baby, he had uh, an infection in utero and then my very last baby, I had placenta procreta with her. So I was on bed rest so that we didn't lose that baby and so yeah, on. Yeah, 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 gosh. So, yeah, mothering is such a busy time, isn't it? There really mm. is, and especially for you, I mean, you were kind of like a super mum at that time. Huh? Um, but mothers, I feel like it is such a busy time and there's no energy left to sort through stuff that you need to sort through. You know, it's my big mantra at the moment that mamas. The mothers need to look after themselves a bit more than they are because it's just um, it's mayhem and it's worse now. It's, I feel like it's worse now because everyone's busier, yep. much, much busier than they were. And there's a lot more things I think to think about. Like it's one of the discussions that I have with, with my clients is that, you know, even going to the supermarket, the thing that you used to think was healthy, now you have to think about, well, has it got chemicals sprayed on it? Is it this? Is yeah. it that? Like things that grandma and grandpa didn't have to think about when they looked at an apple, yeah. for example. Yeah, absolutely. It was a much easier, carefree life, wasn't it? Now everyone's hammered. Everyone's hammered. I know. Mm -hmm. I, I also teach Pilates as well, and some of my mums, the young ones, are running frantic at this time of the year with gifts for this teacher, this one, a concert there, here. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how they keep up with it. So I'm guessing all of this led you to the carnivore lifestyle, and I absolutely love in one of your quotes I read on your About Me um, that your body's not broken or trying to harm you, but it's trying really hard to keep you alive and it's I thought wow that's exactly what it is trying to do mm. and I I also feel like that where most people are of the mindset where oh I'm just getting old and it's just going to happen and I'm just going to get sore and my joints are going to hurt and I'm going to get creaky because that's what your body does but it doesn't does it no what you put in it yeah yeah it's what you put and in it I think it's a really interesting thing because I'm I'm seeing patients that I'm sure you would too that they're in their 30s, like they're maybe 35, yeah, yes. early 40s, and they're like, oh, I'm just getting old. And I'm like, old isn't until you're like 70, 80, 90, maybe even yeah. beyond that. You were nowhere yes. near old yet. No, that's right. You should be feeling useful and full of energy. And, and of course, that gets back to what you put in. Your body is what your body puts out, isn't it? So um, I've been watching your story on the one of the Facebook pages, I can't remember which one. Do you remember which one that we might Probably the Aussie Carnival one. Or Aussie Carnival. There's a, there's a um, couple so of them. can you share a bit about your story as, as, you, as you've evolved over the last couple of years, what's happened, what's changed for you health-wise? Like yeah. How's your health changed? What's happened? So 
for me, the whole story revolves around my family in many ways because, like many mums, we do more things for our family than we do for ourselves. And my naturopathic journey started with that first baby, continued to evolve over a period of time, but got to another critical point when my husband was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome. And we went to doctor after doctor after doctor, and none of them were helping. None of them were providing us with any solutions. So I was like, right, I'm going to put my my hat back on and I'm going to go and research the crap out of this. And so I did. I started to do all of this research and I came across the GAPS diet at that point in time, which is gut and psychology syndrome for those at home. Yeah, And so I started to, well, before I started that, I we, we shifted to, if I don't make it, we don't eat it. So that was just the rule. We want to eat a cake, great. We'll eat a cake, but I have to make it. And that just meant automatically we ate less cakes because yes. I was too busy to make cake. Yes. And if yes. we wanted to eat biscuits, we didn't eat that many of them because I had to make them for us to eat them. So we the actually rule. just, that, that was the first step in our dietary changes. And then our next step was to go to GAPS. And I slowly, progressively changed our family over to a, to a GAPS diet. And I had done that consistently for a good 18 years um, and was, was teaching and working with clients with that, that sort of protocol. And then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, I was flat chat busy. Like I was working until like 12 o'clock at night, helping people with problems. I had people early in the morning because I had patients over in China and Sweden. Oh, and, goodness um, the me. UK. And so on. So I was flat chat busy. And that period of time was just, I will eat whatever I can catch because my husband would just bring me food. Uh, And so I was working flat chat and just ate a whole heap of stuff that I normally wouldn't eat because my husband is great, but he could burn water. So it was just the, the simplest things that he could make to feed the family and keep things going when I wasn't able to get into the kitchen. And at the end of COVID, we started to get to this period of time where I noticed my health was really declining. And for me, um, being a strong constitutional type, I'm the energizer bunny. And so if I need to sleep during the day, that's a problem for me because I can only sleep during the day if I'm so tired that I'm passing out or something else is happening. And that was my indicator that I should check my blood glucose. So I did. And I checked it over a couple of days and I was like, holy dooly, I have to do something about this right now. And for for those at home, the number was Uh, 21.2, which is I should have been walking myself into a hospital. Yes. Me being me went, nope, I've got the choice and I'm going to decide what choice I'm going to make. I'm going to either take myself off to a hospital, get this sorted, get on insulin because I know how that rolls in the the hospital. I know what they're going to do there. And then go on this medicalized pathway of I either then do the work to repair it and so on. And that that totally is a pathway you can take, by the way. You're totally allowed to take yes, that pathway. Yes, no absolutely. In that pathway. But I knew me that I knew that if I went down that pathway, I would be giving up a little bit of my soul and my spirit in, in that. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I went, well, if I don't take that pathway, I have to take another one. And it has to be radical. And it has to be instantaneous and it has mm. to be something that I can start tomorrow. And so I knew from back when, when they had that first pregnancy, the things that really worked for me, and that was just to eat meat. And I just had this, you know, term carnival diet circulating in my head. And yeah, so right. And so yes. I just went, you know what, I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off and I'm just going to do it. And I started the carnivore diet within about a week of me taking that blood glucose reading 
doing a bit of extra reading to see if there was anything else that I was kind of missing. Uh, and then I ripped the Band-Aid off and I just went carnival because I know my husband can at least cook me a steak, even if it's not the way I like it cooked. Yes. <laughs> at least cook yes. that. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I started the carnival diet and then it took me about five months to get my blood glucose into what is a non-diabetic oh, normal range. Yeah. 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 Cause but the numbers don't lie. Really. Coming down. No, no, no. They just don't lie. I know for myself, I've worn a continuous glucose monitor. I didn't have, I didn't have diabetes or even pre-diabetes, but my sugar was up high when I tested it myself. That's been probably three or four years ago. But wearing that continuous glucose monitor is a real eye-opener, not only about food but about stress as well. Like, mm. isn't it? It's crazy. I think everyone should wear one and, and really understand what's happening in their bodies. What did you learn? So for me, I'm wearing also a continuous blood glucose monitor as well at the moment, and I have mine in a really tight reference range. So um, I, I have it at 3.5. 3.3 was the lowest I was able to get it to. Yeah. And then the, t the the highest number is 6.5. So as soon as it starts to head towards a 6.5, it will beep at me and tell me, go do something else. <laughs> yeah. Which is, okay, I'm getting stressed. I maybe need to walk away from this. Oh, that thing that I ate was not necessarily so great for me. I maybe mm -hmm. need to go do a little bit of exercise or drink yeah. some apple cider vinegar or do something else that's going to help my body actually metabolize that a little bit more effectively. Mm. Um, so I have it at a really tight reference range so that as soon as it starts to creep anywhere that I don't want it to go, I'm getting that instant feedback of do something different, completely yeah. in a different direction, go and do something that works for you. Yeah, I know they can be quite expensive, those little glucose monitors for people that are on a tight budget. It's a shame that they can't make the bit oh. cheaper, but they're just, ah, do you know something? Well, I do know something, but it only lasts for the next um, nine days. So the Dexcom 6 G6, they have a trial sale at the moment. So it's $35 for a 30-day um, trial offer. So basically you get 30, you get, enough um glucose stuff for 30 days and then right. um at the end of that if you want to buy it you can buy it you can buy a whole new kit and etc etc there's no ongoing costs or anything like that but i look out for those trials because i know there's another one too yeah. there's a couple of them at the moment i think libra have one as well which was 15 dollars for a 30-day trial because mm, uh, so my i thought they only lasted two weeks, but they're they're longer than that are they they're longer than that, and um, I probably shouldn't tell you, but there are some hacks if you go onto YouTube on how to oh. prolong your life of um, things like the, the Dexcom G6. So, like, yeah, yeah, you can find them yeah. there. But so valuable. I mean, that, that just is like smacking you in the face with a wet fish, isn't it? The numbers are just there, and you think, oh, my gosh, that's just it's just crazy. So um, we've talked about how you're – your uh, carnivore lifestyle started. So what does a day look like for you from a nutritional perspective or a movement perspective? What do you eat and do? Okay, so on a general day, my goal is to try and have breakfast within the first hour of waking up or sunrise. Um, and so oh. is try, to try and eat something. Now, I say that to a lot of my clients because a lot of the women that I work with have a thyroid condition. They don't necessarily know it, but their metabolism has slowed down, which is part of the reason that they're gaining the weight. Uh, and so I aim to make sure that my thyroid is happy and doesn't go into starvation mode and feel good. And so I aim to eat within the first hour of hour in the morning. And so I'm usually going to have some type of meat. Now, this morning, that was two lamb chops with a big chunk of butter. 
Oh, uh, yum. And then, <laughs> then I usually eat again at around three, four o'clock in the afternoon, and then that's it for me for the for the food day. Um, oh, and so at yeah. that point, I'm going to have again another type of meat. So I might have like the other day, I had a steak with some chicken wings and some butter, um, and mm. that was that was my dinner. Then I will put. I've got my handy dandy water bottle here um i usually put some electrolyte mix in there and i'll put some apple cider vinegar in that so that i'm sipping on that throughout oh the yeah the apple cider vinegar is very good isn't it i've forgotten about that little hack that's good yep. isn't it yeah 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 okay and are you a coffee so, drinker uh, i don't drink coffee my husband likes coffee i'm a tea drinker so i'll drink herbal teas um occasionally i'll get a hankering for a chai tea so i'll make a i'll brew up a really um strong brew of chai tea and then i'll put two egg yolks in it and some butter in I it and froth that. it up I saw that on your facebook and i thought whoa that's yeah. a new thing i haven't tried this yeah well i like to tell people about that because when i tell them to eat breakfast within the first hour they go oh i just can't come at eating breakfast and i'm like you don't have to eat a lot you just need a little bit and making a chai latte or if you're a coffee drinker you can make it a coffee with egg yolks and butter in it that's enough to just give that feedback to your thyroid. True, it's here. You don't need to worry. We don't need to go on starvation. You know, yeah. it's here. And so yeah. that's often just enough to, to keep people out of that um, hyperthyroidism space. Mm -mm -mm. Good, good. And if you were to give any tips about who has been a great influence on your life in the nutrition field, or any books, any authors, any podcasters or doctors or anyone that you like to follow and get some ideas from along the way? Oh, so some of them most people will not necessarily find because they are people that were before social media. Ah, oh, right. Good for you, yes. So one of my first inspirations was, was Sir Lester Jones. So he was knighted for his service to the Queen as ah. a homeopathy and naturopath to the, the royal family. And so right, and Lester Jones. Yeah, yeah. Sir, Sir Lester Jones. So he he took this approach of there's got to be a plant or something that actually helps us with it because, you know, back when I was doing my naturopathic training and nutritional studies within that, it was you need this nutrient for this problem ah. uh, and it was very supplement-based and Yes. I'm, I personally am not great at taking supplements. I'm I'd much rather go to the food and let's look for where can we find that in a food source so that I can just think about eating and making sure that I'm eating tasty food and actually get all those nutritional supplements as opposed to swallowing a handful of pills every day to mm, exactly. get my nutritional needs. Yeah, exactly. So he so, was a big one for me in that space. And then um, Ruth Sharkey. So Ruth Sharkey was Australia's baby maker. Uh, they were on oh. a current affair her and her husband a couple of times they actually melted australia's phone lines because they helped people have babies oh and right good the current affair would interview them every so often and then you know they would help those people have babies and so she's an inspiration to me because of her herbalism and her connection with herbs and so for me while some people in the carnival space are completely no plants whatsoever. Um, they're very strict. They won't even do, do pepper, for example. I'm more of the inclination of plants are your medicine and should be therefore used appropriately. We don't oh, take yeah, yeah. a big yeah. dose of aspirin every day. We take mm. the appropriate amount when we actually need it. So for me, mm. I look at 
herbal medicine that way and I look at like vegetables and plants and fruits in that perspective as well Mm, that's that's a different approach isn't it yeah I hear it is a different approach and ideally my my follow-up from that is if you're taking medicine every day then we haven't fixed the problem and so if you're taking Mm. a herb or a supplement and you need to take that forever and ever amen And we haven't necessarily fixed why that's a problem for you in the first place. Now, there's, of Mm. course, exceptions to that rule, like you've been born with a congenital, like a birth defect of some kind. You've had something removed because you didn't know beforehand and you've had an organ removed. Um, You've been in a car accident, those types of things where there's been damage done and an organ has been completely damaged. But if it's a lifestyle illness and you have to keep taking the thing other than food to keep you healthy, then we haven't corrected what's, what the underlying causes are. Mm-mm. And so I think that with herbal medicine as well. Mm-mm. Okay. I, I understand where you're coming from. I like that. It's given me a little bit of a thing to think about. So we've talked about gestational diabetes and carnivore. What's your take on menopause and carnivore? Because it's a big thing that people discuss and want to know about, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's a big thing because a, I think for a lot of people, it's when they start to reach menopause that they actually start to get the time and the energy back in their life yeah, to start to go, true. okay, yeah. now I'll look after my own health. But also, too, if they've had, like, a transition into menopause that's not been so great, they'll also, that will be a driving force for them to actually start to think about their health. But the health of a menopausal woman when it comes to any weight loss program is different to a woman that's that's in her reproductive years. Yeah, uh, right. And so... I think that's where a lot of the challenge comes from when I'm working with people because they'll see like the Anthony, Anthony Chafees out there. They'll see the Sean Bakers. They'll see like the Kelly Hogan's and they'll see like, you know, beef and bake, beef and butter girl. And mm. they'll see those people who a are male or they went, they transitioned into carnival while they're still in their reproductive years. So they have yes. been able to access really great results because youth has been on their side, but they also haven't had the longevity of insulin resistance and things like that playing, yes. playing in the background. Mm. Mm. And so when it comes to carnivore, I think that the number one thing that I really have to stress for menopausal women is eat more fat. And I can tell you when they come and do one of my classes, they realize that even though they think they're eating a lot of fat, they really aren't eating enough fat. (laughs) And so I'll often get my clients to go, I want you to go get a 250 gram block of butter, cut it in half. Your goal is to eat one of those halves every day. Oh, right. That's a lot of butter, isn't it? That's a lot of butter. Yeah. Well, and and the, the point is that it takes around 200 grams of animal fat a day for about three months to actually rebalance hormones that have been out of balance and have been damaged. And so when you're coming at from that mindset, and I'm always testing because I'm the testing person, I'm like, let's test your GKI. Let's have a look yeah. at what's your glucose, what's your ketones, what's your index yeah. number. And yeah. here's what we want to get this, these into. So and let's good. test to see how your body responds, then they can see for themselves, I can see that when I eat this amount of fat, I am actually changing my metabolic health here. And then I can see how to actually get the results that I want to be getting. Mm, good. That's so, that's so good. That's powerful. I, I like that. Because is it Georgia Eads that writes on about the fat, the good fat for women? I think it's Georgia Eads. I've got a book about that anyway. I'm halfway through and I can't yeah. remember who wrote it, but it's very good. <laughs> 
What would you say to someone that's sitting on the fence just before Christmas? Because I realised today it's Christmas coming and um, it's always a stressful time. People don't want to overeat. What would you suggest for someone that's saying, oh, I'm just going to enjoy Christmas. I'm just going to eat what I want and get myself healthy when the new year starts. I guess you hear that a lot. I do hear that a lot. And my general comment to them is don't let December turn into February because inevitably what happens is December is lots of Christmas parties. You have your Christmas feast. And then let's say you have Christmas day and you go, okay, I'm going to get on track after Christmas day. Well, then there's boxing day. Yes. And then, you know, there's still stuff in the fridge two days later. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's new year. And then it's like, oh, I'm just having more of a break. And yeah, exactly. And then finally the kids start to go back to school in February, late, late January, early February for most places. And then they go, okay, now ready. I'll do with it. And what they've done is they've lost two months in that time. And, and probably gained a little bit more unhealthy metabolism. And I, I don't want to say gained, but, I mean, their metabolism won't have been able to recover, right, in yeah. that time. Yeah. And it starts this mental cycle as well that says, I suck, I'm crap, I can't yeah. do this, I yes. can't make change. So bad. And it turns into that swirly, swirly cycle. And so there's a couple of things that I want to say is one, don't let December turn into February. Mm. If you want to eat, like let's say you want to choose to eat whatever there is on Christmas Day and that bit, make it an active choice that you're actually choosing that. And then what are you going to do to help you the next day? That you're not going to carry that over for a few more days. So I know some of the strategies that I do is go, okay, Christmas Day, eat whatever you like. But then Boxing Day, you've got to do a 10 egg challenge which is the challenge is you've got to eat 10 eggs in the day. However you want to eat them, scrambled, fried, boiled, whatever, but your goal is to get in 10 eggs for that day. And I know that if they try and do that, there's not much else that's going to get in that day because it's hard to eat 10 eggs. And so that helps to just quickly break the cycle and everyone can do something for one day. And so when you give them that one-day challenge and you're breaking the cycle, then the next day they go, well, do I really want to break the good habit that I've just created and it helps them move forward. And so my next piece of advice is one, make sure you're consciously choosing the choices that you're making. You're not just slippery slope falling into them. Mm -hmm. And then two, make a conscious choice about what you're going to do to help yourself recover from that. Are you going to get a friend who is also wanting to do that and you're going to be really accountable to each other? Are you going to join a support group? Are you going to sign up for working with somebody to help you stay on track? Like what is it you're going to do to help you actually achieve that even if it's like, well, I'll just do Christmas and then I'll get it back on track. Don't leave it to chance. Make a decision about how you're actually going to do that so that you don't get to February and go, oh, my God, I totally suck. I didn't do anything. I I said next year is going to be the year that I get healthy and well and then I've already stuffed up the first two months. months, You know, (sighs) blow the rest of the year, et cetera, et cetera. Like don't let that cycle be the thing that keeps you stuck in you the health issues to, that you've got you, now. What is it if you, pl- if you plan, to, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. That's what it is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. That's the little thing that's in the back of my mind. Oh, good. All right. So you're just um, having a break over Christmas at all or are you just working, working, working? We, we t- I will have Christmas Day and Boxing Day off and... Yeah. That, that's about it. My books are still open for people. Um, my carnival support group is going in the background and we'll be talking a lot, sharing recipes and things. Yeah, um, good. And for me, this is that point in time where 
I, I love the mindset stuff. So I'm definitely into the practical implementation, but the mindset stuff is the stuff that really kind of gets me fizzing in the sense that this is the time where everyone goes and meets their families and they go, oh, my God, Auntie Jan really annoys me because of blah, 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 and she highlights this thing and it makes me want to eat the cake. And I'm like, yeah. beautiful, that is the thing that we want because this then helps us unpack what is this subconscious belief that's there in the background. Is it people pleasing? Is it this? Is it that? Like, what do we need to unpack to help you get free so that this doesn't have to be a cycle that keeps continuing on in your life? And, you know, breaking that, breaking that or coming into a a space of freedom can just be a simple question, can't it? Mm -hmm. You know, and it can just be a little switch in your mind and you think, oh, is that what I've been doing? Is that why that's happened? It becomes so clear and so easy to move forward. Um, And I guess you're, you're there to help people find the answer to these little questions yeah and sometimes it's just me asking you the question that actually leads you on this self-discovery space but also knowing that you've got to kind of share stuff with somebody else just helps to give you that a level of accountability so I'll give you a quick story this time last year so on the 23rd of December so in a few more days last year we were traveling Australia we were living in our van in tents and and so on and our van broke down we blew up the engine and it's the 23rd of December. We were literally my family, like the way we do Christmas is we pull a name out of the hat and we all buy for each other. That's what so we, we do. Were, That's what we, we were do. driving to the shops to go and buy our secret Santa-y type presents for everyone and the car blew up. And I'm there and I'm going, oh, my God, finally happened. This is the year that, I, that Christmas is ruined, that there is no Christmas, that I've failed as a parent, that... All of this stuff is, you know, all of the emotional baggage and roller coaster of, of being a parent and letting your kids down and all of that type of stuff happened in that moment in time. And thankfully, we got through that. The car got towed, got where it needed to go. We got back to our campsite where we were. And my beautiful sister sent me some money to go buy my kids some presents. And the next day, I was down at the shops and I was buying each of my kids a present. And there was this little bakery. It was a beautiful, gorgeous little place. And inside of it had these um, books that were wrapped up in brown paper. And it just had a little blurb on it. So it's called Data Book. And basically, oh. you just had to read the little blurb without looking at the cover or knowing what the name of the book was, anything like that. And you just write. And I was like, oh, that'll be a perfect gift for one of my kids. So yes. I went in there and I'm waiting to, to purchase my, my thing. And in front of me is all the bakery goods. There's like, you know, the custard tarts and all of the Christmas goodies and the biscuits and then yeah. carrot cake, which is one of my things is carrot cake. I'm like, yeah. you know, that's the one that kind of will get me. And I'm looking at this carrot cake and I'm standing there waiting to pay. And the moment comes where I'm having this conversation in my head, which is like, life really sucks right now. This really sucks. Is You've had such a hard time. You know what? You deserve that carrot cake. Yeah. You could just have a carrot. No one would know that you've had the carrot cake because you're here by yourself. No one would know and you deserve it. And thankfully there was a couple of other people still in front of me. So there was time for me to go, oh, hang on. Do I really deserve carrot cake? What is the carrot cake going to give me? I might feel good for about five minutes when I'm eating it, but then I'm going to feel shame that I've cheated on the thing that I and done something that I don't want to do. Then I'm going to feel lousy. I'm going to get a headache. My blood glucose is going to go up. This is going to, and I'm overall just going to feel nasty 
So is that actually what I deserve after going through this really stressful mm. thing and I don't know what's going to happen with my car? I don't know if we're going to get on bikes and travel Australia after this because, like, you know, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. So I really deserve to go into that of dealing with those things, feeling lousy with a headache and a shame cycle and all of that type of stuff. But it was the delay that allowed me to think through that process. But those things happen to us all the yeah, time, all those the conversations. Time happen to us all the time. All the time. I started I started park running last year on my 60th birthday. Because <laughs> I um I found two little um park runners in my Pilates groups and they were 75 and 83. And they said, "Oh, you should park run." And they were the fittest people in or one of the fittest people in my in my running group for their age group and I thought, "Wow, something in this. You're moving and you're doing well." So I started park running. But my brain the whole time I'm running is telling me exactly that. Oh, your heart's mm-hmm. racing too much or, oh, I feel that little twinge in your ankle. I think you should stop. And that the brain just talks to you. It's so much nonsense and you just have to swish it away and keep on going where you're going or find a way through that conversation because it's always trying to trick you into doing things. Mm-hmm. It's a tricky little thing in there, isn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, good. All right. Well, I won't keep you because I know you've got – you busy day end of you end of day for you it's um coming on to six o'clock for you over there it's not even dark yet it's not even dark not yet (laughs) not yet and um I really appreciate you sharing your story and um I'm I guess for me speaking to a naturopath that's more a carnivore based is a real eye-opener because I haven't met one before um (laughs) they are generally supplement based as well they're the, they're the, the people that I've been to myself so it's refreshing to see that you're on a different page and doing your things for yourself and you've learned it all for yourself so you yeah. can share it so yeah my my approach has always been as a naturopath that I wanted to prescribe less like I only ever wanted to prescribe yeah. what was absolutely necessary to maybe pick you up to get you to the place of maintenance level but and of course you know I have people who would rather choose the supplement yes. for example yeah. than the food and that's their choice they're allowed to make that choice but I want you to know that you have the choice to actually not have the supplements and actually use food. And our organ meats can be really beautiful at using, at doing some of those jobs that we need to do. We've got lots and lots of other beautiful foods. Like one of the most powerful probiotics on the planet is actually a carnivore probiotic. It's milk kefir. Um, oh, milk kefir, yeah. It's fantastic. It blows every other probiotic out of the water in the sense of the different number of strands and the amount of benefits that it can actually have. And so... There's a lot lot there that we can actually do um, that A is carnivore or fits into that like hyper-carnivore, ketovore sort of mm. space yes. uh, without necessarily having to take supplements. I do use them on the rare occasion we actually need them, uh, but that's what they're meant to be there for is yes, those and rare occasions yeah. versus our yeah. everyday life. Yeah, yeah, good, good job. I like it. Thanks for the conversation. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. I'll make sure I put up all your socials because you're a busy girl on social media and people can find your website, Christina Matthewson, and book in if they want to have a consultation. And as you said, you're all over the state. Yep. Yep. That's cool. It's great. What a great setup. You've done well. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Christina.